good afternoon, good evening, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Atlantic Business Spotlight. This is your hostess, Kathleen Sutherland. I'm a marketing consultant, a copywriter, a certified emotional fitness coach, and a multidisciplinary artist. Today, I'm having the pleasure of spending time with Mark Black, who is an internationally recognized speaker and the only person to have completed a marathon using someone else's heart and lungs. So a double lung and heart transplant recipient. Mark, thank you so much for spending time with me today. Thanks for having me, Kathleen. Would you mind just touching a little bit on your story and how you got into the world of speaking? Sure. So I was born with a heart problem. I had congenital heart disease my entire life and had a couple of surgeries uh, early in life. And then got to a point at 23 years old where doctors basically said, there's no other medical interventions we can do for you. Uh, Your heart is failing badly. It's affecting your lungs. And the only solution is a heart-lung transplant. So scary time. Um, And heart-lung transplants are not done in Atlanta, Canada. So in order to even be put on the list, I had to move to Toronto. So my dad and I left my mom and three younger brothers here in, in Moncton. And we moved to Toronto to wait for the transplant. We waited close to a year. Uh, the last six months in hospital, so it was very, um, very touch and go for quite a while. It was pretty scary, uh, but I was obviously very fortunate. The donor was found in time. Had the transplant in September of two thousand and two, and really had a very smooth, or about as smooth a recovery as you can have after that kind of surgery. Still long, but uh, not a lot of major issues. Uh, was running, jogging, um, but three or four months after the transplant, a little bit, and um, ran the first marathon two and a half years later, and in that period was invited to speak a few times to different um, clubs and like rotary clubs, things like that, and a high school graduation, and really enjoyed it and got some good feedback from it and, and sort of discovered that this was a possible career choice. I really didn't even know that that was kind of like a thing you could do. Um, and so began to market that a little bit and put my own name out there and see if anybody would pay for what I had to say. And sure enough, they did. And the rest, as they say, is history. It's been a long journey to get there, but i um, been speaking full time since 2008. So since 2008. Now, are you living in Moncton now? So you were growing up or born in Moncton area, then moved to Toronto and went through this ordeal. So now is Moncton home for you? Uh, Dieppe is, yeah. So, so back to Greater Moncton, a year in Toronto was more than enough. Yes. Um, and, uh, and I have colleagues, of course, who live in Toronto and other big centers who kind of don't understand how you can have this kind of career living in such a small place. Um, but, of course, the world of online marketing and, and, and websites and all of those things make it so that you can run an office from anywhere. So I do have to travel a lot to deliver the actual product, but in between, uh, living in Moncton is a is a very practical solution for us. And what would you say is your core offering in terms of your product, your message? What is it that you have evolved to really, what's the focus of your presentation and how do you inspire others with your story? Yeah, so what I do is help uh, organizations and people within organizations to build the resilience they require to deal with life and to deal with work. So, you know, we live in a world of continuous change and the pace of change is not slowing down and people therefore uh, become stressed and uh, are kind of pulled in very several directions at the same time because of 
the increased demands and decreased resources and you know, the pace of life and all sorts of things. And, and so the solution for some people is they try and make life easier. They try and figure out ways to, to get around the problems that they're dealing with. And of course that doesn't work because life is life and we have to kind of live it. So, um, and your boss doesn't tend to say, okay, well, if there's too much on your plate, let me give you a little less so that you're not overwhelmed. So instead, the solution, I believe, is to just build the skills that we all have. They're all uh, inborn uh, abilities. We just have to hone them and, and practice them and then and put some skills on top of them to be more resilient, to, to be able to thrive and adapt and change quickly and uh, embrace that so that we can be more effective in that environment. And that's what I help people to do. I love that word, resilience. It's one of my favorites. I was thinking of, of asking you, I don't know if, if it's a, a strange question, but what makes you different? I was sort of contemplating your story and thinking, you know, in the face of adversity, we have choices of how we can react and respond to life. And I was wondering if you've given any thought as to what really has made you choose the things that you've chosen and, and make it a goal to overcome these things instead of falling victim to them, which, you know, in the face of such overwhelming um, news and, and challenges many of us would and does that come back to resilience? So one it absolutely comes back to resilience um, Two, I, I don't think I'm special. I think I'm fortunate in the sense that I had two parents who recognized The importance of resilience and were building it without me realizing it from the time I was very very young um, And I think it's what what's missing for a lot of kids and a lot of parents today is that we're not allowing kids the space to fail, the space to learn from our failures, because that's where we grow the confidence to know that we can get back up and dust ourselves off and try again. Um, and and so I, again, I believe that you know a lot of us have this misconception that oh, that person who does this amazing thing or that person that ran a marathon after a transplant is is special or different, and I wish I had that in me. Uh, when instead we should be thinking, well, what is it that they're doing that I'm not doing that I could start doing? Because that's all it is. It's not a, I, I mean, I'm 4'11 and 110 pounds. I'm the least um, physically gifted person to be running marathons that you could, if you picked out what an ideal marathon looks like, marathoner looks like, it's the opposite of me. Um, so it's not that I have these like natural born gifts. It's that I've made some key decisions and used some key strategies that I think everybody can make and learn that have helped me to, to overcome what I've had to overcome. And, and again, I don't, I, um, that's not special. That's just, that's just trial and error. And I'm far from perfect at it. I fail at it all the time, but, but I learn from the failures. And I think that's the key piece of it. There's something about that learning from failure. I think in every area of life, we do what we can to avoid setting ourselves up for failure because we have such a fear around it. So how do you how do you inspire people to to get excited about the potential of failing in order to achieve their dreams? Great question. Yeah, I I believe with my entire being that the path to success, whatever that looks like for you, is a road of full of failures. If you're not if you're not willing to try things and fail at them, then you're don't you're not really willing to do what it takes to succeed because find me somebody who just had an idea and tried it and had instant and perfect success right what you can't that doesn't exist so if you are avoiding failure at all costs you're also avoiding success at all costs uh 
if you want to achieve anything of significance in your life, you have to be embrace the idea that failure is part of the solution. It's not, it's not success or failure. It's success and failure, uh, because it's part of the process. And how many times you fail doesn't matter. It's how well do you learn from the failures along the way. And you can pick any company. You can pick any successful person, and go back through their history and look at all of the times that they screwed up and then learned from that and made an adaptation because of it that has allowed them to be more successful. And most of organizations that are like that are, are endless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's all those famous figures in history, you know, the Edison who built the light bulb a thousand times before it worked and such. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And, and modern day companies as well, right? I mean, if you look at Amazon, Google, you know, pick it doesn't matter, pick any of them, and you'll find that along the way, even if they had a brilliant idea that worked, they had lots of misfires, they had lots of trial and error, they had things that they launched that didn't work right away that they had to adjust and fix, or ideas that totally didn't work at all that they had to abandon. Uh, what made them a long-lasting success is they didn't view failure as final. Right. Right? They used failure as, okay, this is part of the process, how do I learn from this, how do we iterate and make it better, and, and therefore they succeed. So in line with the theme of success, we've just gone through the very first Level Up Impact Conference held here in Moncton last weekend. So this was an initiative that you created by yourself with a team. How did it come to be? So I, I did a, a sort of trial run this February. What Initially it was spawned just by, um, I had many people, I've been speaking for about 15 years, and I don't do very many events in Moncton, and I don't do very many many events that are open to the public because it's usually a corporate setting or it's an association where you have to be a member. So I had people who just said, like, I'd love to hear you speak if you're ever around and it's open and I can come. And so we did this little event in February with 100 people and sold tickets and I had three or four other speakers join me and it sold out and to my surprise, like I did not expect that to happen at all. Um, I was thrilled, obviously. Um, and also made, speaking of failing and making and learning from mistakes, made a lot of mistakes, like a lot. Um, so the day didn't go as smooth. The day was in some respects a complete disaster, in other respects a great success. So, so people got value, people enjoyed the speakers, but from an organizational perspective, from a running an event perspective, you, there's, it'd be hard to do it worse in some respects. Um, so that might make you think, well, geez, why in the heck would you do it again? But part of it was I, I wanted to do it right, right? I wanted to, like, fix all of those things. So you got to do it again. So we, we did this event just, um, in September 15th um, and brought in um, five other speakers, one of whom was Heather Moyes, a two-time Olympic gold medalist. Um, so a larger scale event, um, higher risk event, because the first time I invited my friends to come and speak who didn't need to be paid and were friendly enough to just do it for me as a favor this time I had paid speakers I had to travel pay for travel I had to pay for a venue and so there was overhead there so we really like there was a a need to succeed to a certain level just to not lose money Mm -hmm. um but it was also about this time the focus and 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 going forward the focus is how can we help people whether they are business owners community leaders um to make a bigger impact you know I think the common denominator in the hundred thousand plus people I've worked with in my career is that we all have this desire for significance we all have this desire to say I'm using my life for something bigger than me mm-hmm. and how can I do that and we all do it differently we do it in a variety of ways and so how can I 
as a speaker and coach, how can I help people to do that? And so we created this idea of having an impact conference where if you run a nonprofit, how can I make you make a bigger impact with the people that you work with? If you run a company, how can I help you make a bigger impact with your customers and, and with the community? And, and so we, we, I assembled uh, five other speakers plus me, uh, all talking about different aspects of making an impact. So we had um, Stu Saunders, who runs a youth leadership camp and has helped hundreds of thousands of young people. We had Eve Doucette, who is a CEO of a local company in town who makes a tremendous impact in the culture of his company. We had Charles Burrell, who founded the Humanity Project and has helped feed thousands of people in our community. We have Heather Moyes, who's making an impact by inspiring young people and by doing nonprofit work and, of course, by winning gold medals herself. So we had all these different perspectives and, and looks at, um, at how you can make a bigger impact. And the results of the event were phenomenal. People were thrilled with the speakers. They were inspired. That like the, the, the Facebook messages I've been getting and emails I've been getting over the last couple of days are just absolutely amazing. It's so gratifying um, and inspiring to hear what people are taking away from it. And we've also encouraged people to take action. So we've got a Facebook page set up for them, or a group rather set up for them, where they can share their active impact. What are you going to do after this event to go out and make some sort of difference in the life of somebody you care about and an organization in town or, or at a bigger scale? And people are already sharing some of the things they're doing, and it's, it's, it's really inspiring. I think that's really the key there, and we heard from uh, Stu a very interesting point about attending like the Tony Robbins conferences and the fact that you know it's kind of understood by their staff only one percent or a very small number of people here are actually going to go and do anything different in their lives. So I think having that structure and that support and that accountability for hey, so what are you doing with this information is really a key part to make it real for most people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all know the human nature is human nature, and so by by nature, we we don't take action. By nature, we stay static. We do what we're comfortable doing. We keep doing the same things. And so, if you want to get people to actually make a shift and, and do something, then you really have to kind of reinforce it over and over again. And um, I tried to give people the challenge that in the next twenty four hours, go do two things. I wanted them to call somebody who had made an impact on them and say thank you because that. Um, gratitude expressed is a great motivator for us if we hear somebody say here's the impact you made on me it makes us want to do it again um, and then the second piece was to go and do one act of impact to go do something and then people are saying things like I um, you know did something for a neighbor or I bought coffee for somebody behind me or I you know it, it doesn't have to be a big thing the key is to generate a little bit of movement so we start that momentum and that's what that's what we hope to create is an event that has an impact that lasts beyond the event. Um, and one way to do that is we built in, I built in a um, charitable component, I guess, to the event. So that had two aspects. One is we're giving a portion of the proceeds to two different um, initiatives in the city. One is the Becca Schofield Park. Um, Becca made such a tremendous and continues to make such a tremendous impact in the life of people. So that seemed really fitting. And then the other piece is that we were making a contribution to the Humanity Project to continue Charles's great work there. Uh, but the other piece of it is that we had 30 people, or give or take, at the event who were there on scholarship, which means um, other people, in most cases strangers who did not know them, uh, gave money to a scholarship fund that I administered that allowed people who needed this inspiration in this day but couldn't afford a ticket. And so we were able to give 30 of those people access to this event through the generosity of strangers. And so I think about 
the impact that the donors made and then the impact that the people who attended are going to go out and make and it's sort of this really cool chain reaction that I'm excited about. What is it about the concept of impact that excites you? Why is it the theme? Um, because to me, I mean, I'm alive today because somebody gave the ultimate gift. Some family that I don't know um, in a moment of probably one of the worst moments of their life made a, a very selfless decision to help somebody else. And so every day I kind of live with the results of that and the gratitude of, of that gift. And I think there's a certain amount of um, responsibility that comes with that. I feel like I've been given this chance and so I need to do my best to make this count. And to me that means living for something beyond you. Um, and so I want it like every day I want to make some sort of positive impact in somebody else's life. And that's what my whole kind of life and being and certainly business is about. And it's when you're able to do it, uh, and oftentimes we don't even know we've done it, but when you do know, it's the most rewarding, amazing feeling in the world. And so I want to both create the impact for the people that need it, but also give the gift to people of being able to make an impact in the life of somebody else because it's an amazing feeling. So very good feedback coming back from this first conference here in Moncton. Um, on the organizational point, how did you do this time? Was it more uh, more smooth and fulfilling for you? I, I w yeah, I won't say that it was perfect, but it was darn close. Uh, yeah, the feedback was fantastic. Everything ran really smoothly. Uh, we had um, five volunteers from um, Olton's and the Community College who were amazing. Um, and so I'll be, I'll be doing that again. I just think it was so cool. They showed up, took ownership, and made sure that things happened. And, you know, people got in, got out. We had, you know, about 150 people. And, and getting people in and out from breaks that love to talk to each other is always a challenge to stay on track and stay on time. Uh, and it, it worked really, really well. People interacted, got to, you know, have seen new relationships forming, and which is really exciting. So really, really happy with it. And this will be a recurring event? Yes. So, uh we already have the keynote speaker lined up for next year's event in 2019. Um, Drew Dudley has uh, just released what has now hit the Wall Street Journal bestselling list, uh, a new book called This Is Day One, A Practical Guide to Leadership That Matters. Um, and so it's kind of all about every day is day one, every day is a new day, and how can we make an impact by, by doing the things that we want to do on a daily basis. Um, so Drew will be coming and he'll be surrounded by um, again, four or five other speakers. Tickets are already on sale at leveluptickets.com if you want to get them early. Uh, the early bird sale is still on sale. and um, we're, I'm really excited because I think, thanks to the momentum of this first event, the next event will be bigger and better. I'm curious, what do you think is the link between storytelling and leadership? Oh, that's a good question. Um, the psychologist will tell us that our... our human brains are wired for stories. Uh, we, we instantly connect to them be, because we're living one, I think, is part of it, right? Our, our, we, we view our lives in that context. And so people, um, people like to learn, but they, but they retain learning when it's attached to story. When we can put emotional uh, emotions and meaning around facts and strategies and tools and things that we actually want to teach people. And so what I learned early on in my in my speaking career was that um, initially I really only had a story. That's why I started. I had this story that people thought was interesting and uh, and then I learned that I had some things that I, uh, I wanted to teach them, but that if I took the story out and just taught, it didn't work. 
Right. Right. And because so, it didn't have the emotional impact. Exactly. People didn't really care, <laughs> um, or at least they didn't retain. And so when you wrap good information with a story, then we get that emotional connection to the information, and and people tend to make connections with it that last longer and hopefully helps them to apply it in a better way. What I find talking to people a year, two years, five years after they've heard me speak for an hour is they won't remember the wording to any of the strategies I taught them, but they will always remember one of the stories. And through that, they can make the connection. Oh yeah, what was that story about? Oh right, it was about doing this. And so then that helps them to remember the strategy, but they always remember the stories. And do you also coach uh, business owners and other people in leadership positions to be able to deliver their stories as well as sort of a speaker? Uh, I've done a little bit of that. What I what I do mostly with organizations is I, is I can come in and I coach them about how do we build internal resilience? How do we help people to fail and, and be ha- not happy? How, to be comfortable with failure and to feel, to feel safe in failing. Uh, and to learn from it, and how do we build the internal resilience to do that? Um, and certainly, I use storytelling to do that because we get into the stories of the organization and where the fear of failure comes from. And um, so, it's really yeah, it's really about helping people to um, be change proof in a certain sense. Like the, the change is always going to happen. We're never going to get rid of it. So, the more comfortable we get with it, the more comfortable we get with adversity, the less scary it becomes, the less paralyzed we are by it, and therefore, the more effective we are at dealing with it. And of course, the idea of speaking in itself is very scary and paralyzing uh, for many people. It's well, we heard at the conference that it's no longer the number one fear. Uh, that what was it he said was fear of your losing your phone or fear yeah, yeah, yeah. Of fear your of losing your phone has like trumped the fear of public speaking and death. It's <laughs> frightening concept. But um, what what do you say for people who? who are like, I have something inside me that I want to spit out and I'm feeling fear, you know, who I have a story and I don't, I don't know if the world is ready for, I don't know, fear of judgment or fear of being accepted, this sort of thing. What's your sort of advice? So a couple of things. I think, number one, you're normal, um, right? Everybody, I don't know anybody who is, doesn't have at least a little bit of hesitation, certainly at the beginning, um, but even to this day, on, on certain, for big events, I still get, I still get nervous, even though I've done it you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Um, so you're normal, number one. Number two, I think like anything in life, we just have to feel the fear and do it anyway. I think we, we tend to think that we're supposed to do something to get rid of the fear. Like, like if we're prepared properly, it won't be there. Or um, The people who have success in anything in life are not unafraid. They just do it anyway. And so part of being resilient is learning to deal with our negative emotions, whether it's fear or anger or jealousy or anything else and just accept it for what it is and then do the next thing instead of trying to avoid it or feel bad about it or or whatever Um, the second thing I have found is that if you can get out of thinking about yourself and focus on what your message your idea whatever it is that you're trying to share whatever what is that gonna do for the people who hear it how is that gonna help them and if it becomes about them instead of about you then you become much less self-conscious, which means you become less fearful, and you'll enjoy the experience of speaking more, which means you'll probably do it again. Um, so that's what, whenever I get nervous, I have to remember, okay, what what is this about? Is it about me or is it about them? And if it's about them, then I can not really care so much about what they think about me, because that's really what the fear is. It's the fear of 
being judged or what will they think or what if my fly is down or what if I say the wrong word, all of which is about you and your ego, and which is normal, but useless. Um, and instead focus on what is it that I want to give, what is it that I want them to get, you'll instantly feel more calm. So it sounds like essentially recognizing that feeling fear, hesitation is not a good reason not to do something. If we, I mean, if we always avoided things because we were afraid of them, there wouldn't be a whole lot we could do. Right. And, and fear is a really interesting thing because it's, it's not real. Or at least it's not based on, on good evidence and on facts and on anything real. Like, we had, it was an interesting conversation we had the other day on, on social media with somebody who, who talked about the risks of dying from a variety of activities like skydiving and, and all of these different things. And the risk of dying from flying in a plane is infinitesimally smaller than the risk of dying in a car accident. And yes, if you ask most people uh, if they're afraid to get in their car, nobody is. And yet many people are afraid to fly, right? So, so fear is not logical. And so that's another step, right? If you can just kind of go, okay, I'm feeling this feeling, but it doesn't really make any sense. So it's okay to ignore it because it's not actually warning me of anything that's actually dangerous, um, that can be sometimes helpful for people too. It's kind of an interesting thought of asking the question, okay, where is this fear coming from? If we really look at that, we'll probably be led to an interesting story. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we tell ourselves all kinds of interesting stories about, you know, one of the exercises I do with coaching clients sometimes we're dealing with fear for a variety of, in, for, in a variety of situations is I say, okay, well, let's explore that. Right? Like, what are you afraid of? And they'll say something. They'll say, okay, so if that happens, then what? Well, I'll feel upset. Okay, well, and then what? Well, I might feel embarrassed. Okay, well, and then what? And so when we play that out, eventually what people realize is I'm still here, I'm still alive, I'm still breathing, and really nothing has changed other than I was maybe uncomfortable for a few minutes. So sometimes it's just a question of like playing out the scenario in your head until you get to the end result and see that, gee, that's not really so bad after all. I can probably survive that. Uh, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen if you speak in front of people and it doesn't go well? Chances are, it, you know, nothing really happened. Uh, maybe you're a little embarrassed. The truth is that everybody in your audience cares way more about their own life and their own issues than they do about you, and they'll forget about that incident 10 minutes later. That's uh, it. Life moves so fast. You know, anything we put on the internet or out in, in the public space or experience that we have, for us, it's like, oh my God, it's made such a big ripple. But for the audience, more than likely, they've forgotten by dinner time. Unless it was really funny, unless, then they might remember for a day. Right, right, exactly. I mean, we struggle as speakers to have people retain what we say and have people apply what we say and, and work really hard at making structure and things in a way that they do that. So to think that, you know, your mispronunciation of a word or your stumbling over a sentence is going to be something that lasts in somebody's memory for any length of time is is just silly. <laughs> well, what would you hope um, would be the lasting sort of impact of the Level Up Impact Conference? If you could look into the future and say, if it's done this, I'm happy. What is sort of the ultimate vision? Uh, the ultimate vision is that it creates that ripple and that we have not necessarily any really big, massive, um, you know, change in somebody's life, but that, you know, everybody that was there or, or a few of the people that were there even take some small, consistent action over time that they 
do some acts of kindness or they do some act of impact and they make some small change in their life that then has a ripple into the lives of the people that they work with, that they live with. Um, and, you know, so if, if five people get their coffee paid for next week because somebody at Level Up did that, then, then that's a successful event. Somebody went out and took one little piece of inspiration and did that. And, I mean, we're getting Facebook messages that are far beyond that. Um, from people who are just really blown away and touched and, and are ready to tackle the world. And so I hope that they go out and, and tackle the world. Um, but uh, yeah, even if even if it's just those little ripples, then it was it's certainly worth the effort. So it sounds like it's all about giving. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, um, I, always, I always say that I try and measure my life by lives touched and difference made. So... You know, we, we go through this life and, and we are bombarded by commercial messages that tell us that we measure our success by how big our house is or what car we drive or what we wear. And at the end of the day, you know, when our life is over, none of that's going to matter and nobody's going to care. But what people will remember are the things that you did for them, um, the way that you helped them, the way that you touched them. And you kind of live on through the impact you've had on the people around you. And so that's really what, what Level Up is about, is about giving people the motivation and inspiration to go out and make a bigger impact for the lives of the people around them because that's going to make them live a more significant life. And, and I love sort of wrapping it all up in, in the awareness that something I took from the conference myself is that we really don't know the impact we're having on others. Like our small acts, like we have no idea what it's actually meaning to another person, a small act of kindness in a significant moment. So I just like, I, I kind of walked away being like, I should always be the best that I can, even if it's hard for me, because it's, there's always going to be someone else who's having a harder time. My small act of giving can mean the world to someone else. We've all heard those stories, you know, someone's life was saved by a smile. So I think that's a very powerful reminder. Yeah, you're so right. And that's why, you know, that's why I started by asking people to think of somebody in their life that had done something significant, something that made an impact on them in the last couple of weeks. And then ask them to remember what that thing was, and chances are it wasn't anything huge, right? It was a smile, or it was a, a, a phone call to say, hey, how you doing, or whatever. It's, it's sometimes, oftentimes, those little seemingly insignificant things um, that, that make a big difference in, at just the right time. Well, Mark, I really want to thank you uh, not only for speaking with me today, but also for your role in organizing this event. I look forward to attending again next year and in years to come. If anyone who's listening would like to get in touch with you or learn more about what you do, what is the best way for them to do that? Um, markblack.ca is my website, and on there are the links to all the social media and email and all the rest of it, so feel free to, to reach out in any way that, that you like, and I'd love to, to connect with people. Okay, any final thoughts? No, I just, uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been a treat. Thanks for having me. Okay, thank you very much. Again, this is your hostess, Kathleen Sutherland, on behalf of kcsutherland.com. I hope you have enjoyed this conversation as much as I have, and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Take care.